Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, uh, Harrison couldn't make it, so I brought my actual favorite tall, skinny, bearded guy, uh, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast, Grits and Grinds, both podcasts, and of most blackjack tables when we're out there in Summer League together. <laughs> uh, hey, Anthony. Yeah, I like a blackjack. I'm looking forward to uh, are we wearing the masks at the blackjack table this year? I don't know what I don't know what casino etiquette is nowadays. I don't know. I wonder if they'll have like the separators that you see on inside the NBA, right? Oh, where, that would where be you... amazing. <laughs> like, I would like I would pay extra your... to play blackjack at the actual inside the NBA table. Oh man, all like twenty feet apart. Like if everyone was twenty feet apart, that sounds like a dream casino. Uh, actually, <laughs> you know, if you could still kind of talk, still have a good time, but yeah. not actually rub elbows with the, the people next to you. Charles Barkley is like questioning your manhood for for not hitting on 17 because of analytics that's right <laughs> that's right no man i'm conservative i'm a uh i'm a doc rivers i'll sit on 16 man uh you know oh, i'd rather yeah, not you've... bust i'd rather not bust that's just that's the way i play the game let's just yeah, I... i'm gonna i slow down my offense in the clutch like at the end of games i'm like let's be very conservative not a lot of movement you know if there's less movement there's mm -hmm. less turnovers no one ever talks about that anthony <laughs> <laughs> no one ever does. Although, like, while you are mostly aligned with me on that one, and I promise we aren't going to talk about blackjack the whole time, but if you hit on 16 or 15 or 16, I don't hit 17. 17, I, I leave that alone. If, no, if, that's weird. That's weird yeah. to hit 17. Yeah. But if I, if, you, if I hit like a 15 or a 16 and the right card comes up, there are a few better feelings while playing blackjack. It, ra like, it rarely happens. I know, <laughs> I know. But that's what that's what makes it. That's what, what makes which, <laughs> which NBA coach do you think is most likely to hit on 17? Ooh, man. Well, we know it isn't Bud. No, like it's, it's no, no. So Bud, <laughs> Bud doesn't even hit. He just takes the two <laughs> cards and he's like, it would be unfair for me to ask any more of this dealer. I'm just yeah, gonna he gets <laughs> He doesn't want to wear out the dealer's hand. He's just like, you know, but the, the, the coach most likely to do it. I feel like it's Monty Williams. Monty Williams. Okay. All right. I feel like it's Monty Williams. Like he, he's got those great uh, out of bounds plays. He's so good at yeah. that. Like, you know, yeah. he has a plan going in for it. I think, I think he's my guy. I think he's, yeah, I'm sticking with Monty Williams. Who, who do you got? I, I think it's absolutely Nick nurse. <laughs> I think Nick Nurse is the most bold coach we have. I believe Nick Nurse feels he can do no wrong. I yeah. believe winning a championship <laughs> in his first year gave him yeah. this unbelievable, I don't want to call it a God complex, but yeah. I, I, I'm struggling to find another synonym. I think he has more <laughs> self-belief than any other NBA coach. Yeah. Uh, he's like, triangle and two, let's do it. Like that yeah. will absolutely work. And I think he'll be out there on the blackjack table being like, oh yeah, 17? No, no, no. I'm, I'm hitting because I'm Nick Nurse. And he's definitely telling the dealer that if if they if he if he busts right if he busts he's telling the dealer that why do you hate nurses right well like, well, he, you, well the thing is he's wearing a branded yeah. Nick Nurse hat <laughs> that was my favorite part of he, that playoff. his his guitar <laughs> might actually be under the table because he carries uh -huh. that guitar with him and mm -hmm. he's just saying yeah I hit on seventeen that's what I do and <laughs> and it worked out for me because I won the title uh, in twenty nineteen yeah yeah. I've lost track of years. All right. Today's show, we are going to discuss 
David Fisdale, you uh, watched him coach in his uh, in his first coaching stint out there uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies, or was it his first or his second? It was his, his first head coaching stint. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was his first head coaching job out there in Memphis. Uh, the the dynamic that Lakers fans are are the most interested right now in, I think, is a tie between the friendship that he has with LeBron James and the animosity that he shared at one point with Mark Gasol. Um, and that's kind of where I wanted to start because like, this is the thing that I find myself the most curious about because it's a human element thing and it's a growth thing. And it's, it's both guys have said they've moved on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to work together. <laughs> like the, that's, those are two very different things. Could we just start with like, what happened? What, what went wrong between David Fisdale and Marcus Saul? Marcus Saul being like somebody who seems like the easiest guy to get along with on the face of the planet. Well, I would never go that far. I mean, really? Mark, Mark, Mark Gasol is surly. I mean, he huh. he has a particular belief in the way things should be done. And he has this okay. high, like, uh, I don't know, idealism for how basketball should be played and what things should be said. So I don't think he's the easiest to get along with. But I'd like to go back to one thing you said that I okay. think is kind of funny. The idea that the decision about David Fisdale, like we're, we're weighing two things here. Mm -hmm. Fisdale's friendship with LeBron on the one hand and on the other hand and how he feels about a center who might play 15 minutes a game. about Marcus Saul like I don't know which one of those is gonna win like how does that scale balance up uh, no I'm sorry what what was your question what, what, what are my thoughts on the uh, animosity why did they why did they bump heads though like why okay. yeah, where, yeah. Did that, so, where did that start like he was it's always odd to me when when a coach steps in. D'Antoni did this with Powell uh, once upon a time, where the coach steps into a brand new situation and immediately starts ruffling feathers with one of the team's loudest voices. Right. You know right. that that was that was really weird to me. I think I think one of the initial things, and this is a lot of conjecture because I'm not inside those locker rooms where these mm -hmm. events are taking place. One of the initial things is Fizdale when he was hired as head coach for the Grizzlies. A lot of his resume was. This guy is LeBron James's friend. <laughs> this guy was part of the Heat. This guy's part of Heat culture. This guy helped develop uh, some young players on the Heat. But this guy like knows players and players respect him. So I mm -hmm. think a lot of it was when he was dealing with the Grizzlies, and he is communicating when Fizdale's communicating to veterans such as Marcus Saw and Zach Randolph and Mike Conley. I think from the outside the perspective was Fizdale keeps referencing. Like, this is how champions do it. Mm. And the players were kind of like, yeah, that's how LeBron and Dwayne Wade do it. <laughs> like, I don't, it has less yeah. to do with you, David Fisdale, uh, you telling us, listen, in Miami, we did this. And I think at some point they started kind of rolling their eyes. And I think it wore mm. out a little quickly. And I don't know if it was just the Grizzlies went from being one of like the best five or six you know, teams in the NBA during the end of the grit grind era where they were kind of competing. They were like a fringe title contender. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they were making it to the second round of the playoffs and then hoping, you know, that like they broke through to the conference finals once uh, they put a tiny scare in the Warriors once, but going from that and to them missing their window when like they, they signed Chandler Parsons that obviously didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then Tony Allen gets old, Zach Randolph gets old. And then with Fizdale coming in with his goal of to continue this team being good and, and it not working as well. I just think that natural competitive frustration where like this season hasn't lived mm -hmm. up to our hopes. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that necessarily, you know, isn't David Fisdale's fault, but with the team not winning as much as I think they expected as the players and then Fisdale, he benched Gasol at the end of the game. Like that was, that was the big deal. And that yeah. was literally the final straw where, I mean, David Fisdale benched Mark Gasol and Fisdale's fired, you know, like, like the next day, I think it was, it was the day after that. So Marcus Saul has said that he didn't, you know, get him fired, but I do think he communicated with Robert Para like this isn't really working for me. Uh, yeah. Thing. And I don't, I don't think, I don't know if it still had a lot of believers in that locker room. Um, uh, I don't want to misremember, but I'm pretty sure in Fizzle's first season was the year that Fizzle says, all right, like Zach Randolph, franchise icon, you're mm-hmm. coming off the bench now. Uh, Jermichael Green's our starter because we need, we need that spacing. And Zebo's like, cool, cool, cool. But then when it got to the postseason and the games actually mattered, it was like, uh, actually, Zach, we're going we're to start you because that's probably the best option. And I think that like that rubbed people like kind of weird. Like you told us it was the best option all year not to play Zach Randolph when yeah. the fans were like, Zach Randolph's good. Who cares if we don't have spacing? Like, this is our identity. This is what we do. So I think mm-hmm. he kind of lost some of the veteran faith in that decision. And then whatever it was the following season when the team was struggling, the 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 way he handled benching and maybe the locker room not being 100% behind Fisdale, uh, then that was the reason where they're like, you know what, let, let's let him go and we'll, we'll move in a different direction. Yeah, it sounds like, and he has kind of spoken a little bit about this too, that, you know, he was very highly principled in the way that he thought things should go. And then you had this this team that had one of the most deeply etched identities in the NBA, right? The, the, the mm-hmm. grit and grind was an era. And it was something, by mm-hmm. the way, that the fan base really bought into too. It's, it, was some, it, was, it was awesome to watch those Memphis crowds uh, when when Zach Randolph was hitting, you know, seven kind of slightly fall away old yeah, uncle jumpers, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. like it was it was it was it was a great era in that in that uh, in that time, and and yeah, part of it I think he was. I'm not going to go so far as to say that he was kind of damned to fail because that era was just kind of coming to an end, and whoever was going to coach that uh, that next chapter in Memphis history was whoever that was going to be was going to struggle uh but but he said later that he needed to be more flexible and he needed to be more understanding of that identity and and that's kind of the thing here that that really kind of strikes me as interesting is is it seems like both mark and fizzdale have really grown right it, 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 we saw it I, I i keep using the pow example and it's basically just because he's a gasol brother and and Mike D'Antoni asked Powell, hey, could you like step out two steps further and shoot three pointers instead of the slightly behind the free throw line jumper that you keep taking? And Powell wasn't interested in it. And then uh, they butted heads all year long. Powell goes to San Antonio and becomes like a legitimately good three point shooter. And then you kind of see it. You saw it from what I've been reading, somewhat similar situation there where Fisdale is saying to Mark, hey, we know Randolph probably isn't going to step out and shoot too many three pointers. Could you maybe take a couple steps back and start spacing the floor a little bit more? And it wasn't something that Mark was interested in doing. And then eventually he adds that to his game. And, and that's a big reason why I thought he fit better alongside AD last year than Drummond did. And so like now it's funny to see both parties, Mark and Fisdale have grown. Fisdale admitted his faults in those situations. And then Mark um, 
has not just admitted, but also shown growth with the things that he's added to his game. And yet that's not quite the same thing as, oh yeah, I can't wait to work with this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, like, a, it's amazing. Think, Sorry. I think it's it amazing that like Lionel Hollins and David yeah. Fisdale are, are, are still, uh, you know, uh, working with Marcus Saul. No, Fisdale 100% was given credit for unlocking the three-point game of Marcus Saul, a guy who did not attempt three-pointers. Like Zach Randolph, he would shoot them. It, actually, it's kind of funny that Zach Randolph back in the day was known for just taking way too many three-pointers. Like he was seeming like a very selfish player. So he didn't need that much encouragement, but Gasol did not shoot threes and then became an incredible three-point shooter. Like he was shooting 40% over the break and like, uh, or above the break. And Fizdale did do that. Like Fizdale said like, let's shoot three-pointers and Gasol's like, yes, okay. So yeah, yeah he does get credit um, for doing that. And certainly, you know, as an assistant coach, like, yeah. I think maybe that is the ideal role for uh, David Fizdale. I don't know. I mean, maybe he, he'll be uh, the head coach again someday. But I think as a head coach, he's always struck me as a bit, I don't want to say, like, I guess phony's the wrong word. He's too excited about the wrong players. And maybe, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's just like a thing he's doing like for the young media. Michael Malone. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe, like, <laughs> yeah. maybe that has no bearing on his head coaching ability whatsoever. But when you're like Ivan Rab, that guy's my Chris Bosch. You're like, all right, let's <laughs> let's slow down a little. With the Knicks, he was like Lance Thomas. He's got Draymond yeah. Green. We're gonna run our whole offense through Lance <laughs> Thomas. You're like, I hope you're kidding, because that's a terrible idea. Like, you're not going to be yeah. any good. Uh, yeah. He was big on Chandler Parsons, and we have to note a lot of people were Chan- Chandler Parsons is a much bigger reason while the Grizzlies were unsuccessful during Fisdale's head coaching yeah. tenure than actually David Fisdale was. But like Chandler Parsons, he's like, that's our LeBron James guy. He's got the same skills as LeBron. I've James. always thought like, that like when oh, I see always. Chandler Parsons, yeah. <laughs> I think LeBron James just always, yeah. I want to say, I don't know if I'm misremembering. I want to say it was a Wade Baldwin four has hints of Russell Westbrook was, was it was another. <laughs> and, and again, it was just like, Fizdale, you got to slow down, man. Like, like I know you, you have that confidence and you exude confidence and mm-hmm. maybe you're just trying to build your guys up. You're trying to build your players up to get the best out of them. But as like a fan slash media member, we were always just like laughing. Like this guy's not for real, is he? Like, 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 like surely he doesn't actually think that because this could be bad news if he does. Yes, I do. And stop calling me Shirley. But like the, the, <laughs> I, he just, he strikes me when he says stuff like that as those annoying draft analysts. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Like they cannot, they can't say that this player is going to be fine or this player might struggle in certain ways. It's either they're awful or they are going to be the best player at that position of all time. It's Although the, the counter to that is I saw, I saw, I don't remember who the draft prospect was this year, but just this morning I saw a draft prospect compared to uh, like Darius Miller. Mm. And I was like, that's who we're going with. Like <laughs> Darius Miller. I mean, he's just like a dude. He's a dude who scores like two points a game. Like, like, like there's no, you know, there's no slightly similar. I mean, I know, honestly, <laughs> if you're getting picked 22nd, Darius yeah. Miller is an okay outcome, but I was yeah. surprised. We're like, that's his comp. I was like, eh, I guess that was means that you don't Jayden, draft him. <laughs> was that, was that Jaden Springer? Because I, he's all over my timeline right now. Oh, is that the one? It could have been. I don't know. I don't I'm know. still like cramming on the draft. And I'm, I'm just the fact that I know that Jaden Springer went to Tennessee. I, I consider a huge win for me. Like just yeah. learning the, the very basic data about these guys. 
See, I'm I'm not even that in depth. I saw that his, so his last name is Jared Springer. He jumped 41 inches in the in the thing. That's what I now know him for. He's Springer. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah. that's I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So the the I want to get back to that whole era, Marcus Hall, where he's at right now in his career. How do you think? Like you were watching, I'm sure the whole dynamic where the Lakers bring in Drummond and they promise him a starting spot, starting minutes and all that stuff. And then when games weren't going necessarily very well, Marcus would step in Lakers would start playing better. And then the next game, Gasol was would get another DNP. How do you think he was handling that? Like, were you watching for any like telltale signs on any of that? I can't say I was watching closely enough to pick up like body language or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, I definitely was like, I adopted the Lakers when Marcus Gasol joined there. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be a Lakers hater this year. When Gasol plays, I'm, I'm going to cheer. I'm going to cheer for uh, Gasol. Yeah. But then it, it, it was convenient for me when Dude, they brought in hey, Drummond and win win for you. Gasol. I'm like, fine, <laughs> you guys are dead to me again. Like, how dare you treat Marcus Gasol? So I'm yeah. like so biased and pro Marcus Gasol that it, it was even hard for me to recognize like when he was at fault or when he was hurting the Lakers. Yeah. Like, through my Gasol colored glasses, I was mm-hmm. thinking like, this guy provides the spacing. This guy doesn't need the ball. Like, like he's, he's, he's keeping the ball moving. He's getting it to other players to score. He plays solid defense. Like they just need this. They need Gasol as a facilitator. I feel like they're better with him. He's a better pairing with Anthony Davis. Like Anthony Davis doesn't want to play the five, whatever, but like on offense, Gasol will just stand out on the perimeter or or be like a really high post. And it seemed like a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. So like, I I don't know. I mean, I think Drummond got kind of a, a negative rep just for the Lakers, you know, you lose in the first round and it's like, all right, obviously there was injuries, but we, we expected mm-hmm. maybe more from Drummond. And I did feel like you, they should have went with Gasol more all year. But again, I'm so biased that I can't give like, like an honest uh, objective answer. I did recognize like maybe it was game four or five against the Suns where Devin Booker was just like, yeah, Marcus Saul can't do anything. I'm just yeah. gonna go right at him, and mm-hmm. and that that was a little painful for me. Where I was like, oh no, he's hunting Gasol. Gasol's <laughs> being hunted. It's the worst <laughs> moment. No, yeah. So that, that that was pretty dark. It it is it is it, it just seems meaner when Gasol gets hunted because he looks like a big teddy bear out there. Like you're hunting a teddy bear. It just <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just kind of wrong. The reason I bring that up is so the only way that. Gasol can get out of the Lakers situation if he if he isn't thrilled with the Fisdale hiring if he isn't thrilled with whatever role he might have next year the only way he would go about getting out of that spot is either demanding a trade or a wave being waived or just flat out retiring and he is at that portion of his career where that he his best days are way behind him he's now being hunted by Devin Booker um, and, yeah. and like, I'm just kind of curious, like, would, would he, would he walk away? Like, could, could you see him doing that kind of a thing? Well, I think he's always had so many interests outside of basketball that, that it would, wouldn't be that surprising if he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to go tend to my gardens or I'm going to go do humanitarian work or something yeah. else that he's passionate about outside of the NBA. I do feel like he could still help basketball teams yeah. and it 
does also on the outside appear like the Lakers are trying to run him off, you know, with, uh, with the Drummond and with the Fizdale, uh, like, yeah. like, Hey buddy, why don't you retire? We could also conjecture that when they signed him to the two year deal deal last year, they were like, it was understood that he would play yeah. a season and, and then, and then retire. I don't know. I mean, I feel like he could help like the Warriors wouldn't mind having him. Like, is there a, is yeah. there a minimum salaried player on the Warriors that like could be a, a, a simple swap? It seems like he could definitely just be a, I don't know, like, like, like a player coach type influence. Um, yeah. Probably wouldn't work on my Grizzlies because he has too much influence there uh, and maybe wouldn't get along, but like somewhere else, like would he go back to the Raptors? Like would they, would they want him back again? If you could just swap out like a, mm -hmm. like a, a minimum salaried player, would that make sense? So I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like that Gasol still has basketball left in him, but I think most people agree that it wouldn't be stunning or anything. If he's like, you know, I'm good. I made a lot of money yeah. and there's more things to enjoy in life. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't come from like a, I guess I'm asking if you think he he would allow himself to be run off. Like, would he would he get the <laughs> would he like get the red stapler from Office Space? Would it like oh, if it appeared yeah. on his desk uh, and then he was like, "All right, that's enough." Like, I don't know. Do no, I don't think he would. I, yeah. I I do think part of that thing I was talking about earlier, where he has this like special ideal about how sports are supposed to work and how mm -hmm. basketball is supposed to work. I think that ideal would lead him to believe. I am a lower priority on this team, but my role on this team right now is to help out in practice, is to show mm. everyone what I'm seeing on the court, to relay that information to my teammates who are playing. And I do think he's a good teammate. I've never heard anyone say he's not a teammate. Yeah. When I say he's surly, like he gets frustrated and he's, he speaks his mind and, you know, maybe he, he will rub up against the coaches uh, or, or, you know, be kind of brusque towards them, but I do think he is a, a, a consummate teammate and, and does value the camaraderie of his teammates and, and, and finding what he can do to help his team win. Yeah. I've, I've caught the same vibe. It's funny. Yesterday I was talking about on Twitter. I was just saying that both the Gasols are considered ultimate teammates and somebody had a problem with that, you know, listing the times that Pau was frustrated with his role or listing the times that Mark has been frustrated with his role. And then, and those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Like if anything, I get kind of frustrated with Giannis sometimes. I just, we just spoke with um, Mirren Fader on my show earlier this week where there's a, where there's a sense of frustration with Giannis. It's like, Hey bud, get me in better situations. Like we have to find better spots for me to be able to perform. in. I like a star who will, who will step up and say, Hey, I think this is, there, there are better ways to use me in this spot, or there might be better ways to use, players around me in this spot. Like that's, that's just part of sports. It's not even, it's not even like an NBA specific thing. Your, your star players should give feedback. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 that was the other thing I was going to ask is if you ever caught a sense uh, from, from uh, his time in Memphis or whatever, that his teammates said anything really other than no, I, Mark would die for us. We'd die for him. Yeah, no, I don't remember ever hearing anything negative from other players about yeah. Marc Gasol. I would say, as far as the Gasol brothers, I have I have less rosy feelings uh, towards Powell. I mean, Powell's <laughs> Why nice. Why is that? Powell, I mean, when it, whenever a guy asks to leave your team, that's weird. <laughs> like, like, like Gasol was not in his prime, and we knew we were going to trade Marc Gasol away. Um, Mark, that you know, Mark was was post his prime. The team wasn't any good. Uh, 
Pau Gasol was still in the prime and it yeah. seemed like he kind of quit trying as hard. He, he pulled the old, um, maybe the old Vince Carter or the Blake Griffin for our younger listeners. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> yeah, where it's like, it's like, he's not really trying as hard as he used to. And then he's like, yeah, I want to be traded. I want to be traded. And then with the deal, I know it ended up getting Marcus all back, but like the very one-sided deal where they were like, yeah. guys, we got, we got Kwame Brown and Javaris Crittenden. <laughs> Uh, what? I, <laughs> we, we did what? <laughs> like, I just want to go on the record to say that I'm not going to slander Kwame Brown. I don't want any of those problems whatsoever. Uh, Kwame is the consummate professional, could catch the ball really, really well. Great finisher around <laughs> the basket. <laughs> All of those things. You, you seem more concerned about the wrong one of those two players in the trade, well, but it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, uh, no, no. So man. like Gasol, I mean, Gasol, I was happy for Gasol, you know, sort of, I guess, in retrospect, I was happy that he won with the Lakers. But in the time, no, I was furious he was winning titles with the Lakers because I felt like the Grizzlies got swindled on that deal. And then like him wanting to leave the Grizzlies, you know, that 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 never sits that well, uh, I think, with the fan base. You're going to you're going to love hearing this. I was um, somewhat disappointed that the Lakers, you know, included Javaris Crittenton in the deal. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you, still, you still had high hopes. I hope so. I was I was a fervent believer in Javaris Crittenton. Yeah. It just you know was is the is the key operating term there. Was yeah yeah. Um, all right. I do want to uh, spend a little bit of time on on the stuff that you're working on here. Fast Break Breakfast is is mm-hmm. a phenomenal show. I really really enjoy it. Um, I was just I, it was funny. You DM'd me yesterday. I've never had this happen. You DM'd me yesterday asking about like how long we were going to go on this because you were getting ready to plan out your show. And I was listening to your show as we were DMing back and forth. Oh, very I've nice. never ever had nice. that happen. Yeah, I've never had that. I am, I am, uh, I side with you on on Kevin Garnett not being clutch, by the way. Um, but <laughs> and then you're also doing the Grit and Grinds podcast, uh, yeah. Grits and Grinds, uh, which is more Memphis uh, directed. I'm curious, like, we're, we're, how do you feel? I feel I find myself saying curious a lot in the show, mm. uh, but. How are you feeling? Like Memphis is is super exciting. Bill Simmons wants to trade for Grayson Allen. Oh, like that that's a win-win. A that would be a dream. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Grits and Grinds is just a hardcore Grizzly show for like the most yeah. intense Grizzlies nerds. Um, no, I mean, everything's looking up for the Grizzlies. I think there's no other way to think to feel about the franchise right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like on a national sense, the Grizzlies haven't gotten even enough credit for like how good they've been. Yeah, because they are in the start of their rebuild. Like they're at the very beginning of the rebuild and they mm-hmm. made the play in game last year. This year, they beat the Warriors in the play in. they made the postseason. They, they won one game. That's that's not nothing. But like they're still powered where like all their playing time goes to young players. Essentially, the oldest guy is Valanciunas. And it's like they still have these extra draft picks coming their way. They have mm-hmm. the Jazz's pick next year. They have a Warriors pick in 2024 that's very lightly protected. So like the Grizzlies are now at a kind of a where do we go from here? And they have to decide, like, is this offseason the time you want to strike? Do you feel confident enough about John Morant where you're saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we should trade away a future first and bring in another maybe near all-star. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard to find, like, who that specific player could be. And then on the other hand, you think, let's just maybe take it easy. Let's try to find out more about Jaron Jackson Jr., who had basically a lost season. Let's mm-hmm. find out more about is it Bain or Melton or Brandon Clark and, and then figure out 
you know, does John Morant take another leap? He's probably going to be an all-star. We feel like this coming season is especially based on his postseason play where he's averaging 30 points and eight assists uh, per game uh, mm-hmm. in the playoffs. He's so freaking fun, man. He's, he is so incredibly fun. He's absolutely the most exciting player in Grizzlies franchise history. Um, he might sorry, be the most exciting sorry, player pal. in basketball right now. Like he's I, one of them. I mean, he's on the short list, like the stuff he does and how good he is. Um, it's very, very exciting. And so the Grizzlies just have to figure out, like, what do we do now? Like, what are the next steps? Is it just draft someone this year with your 17th pick and then wait and see what we have? Maybe the trade deadline, maybe make a big move or, or are we waiting? Is it all for like the 2022, 23 season? So as fans, we're like impatient. We're like, what can we get? You know, especially for- as like Phoenix goes from, yeah. Where they were, they add Chris Paul. Now they're probably going to win a championship. Well, you have, and, and also the Hawks, where the Hawks, yeah. you know, just got in the conversation where they had Trey Young and they're like, you know what? Let's just try to add some solid vets and see what happens. And, you know, is that a new team building strategy? I think the Grizzlies team building strategy has been we want to try to be good. Like they, they went into this year where a lot of people would say, you know, it's better for the Grizzlies this season, maybe one more season, tank it out. Like, like take mm-hmm. out, try to get a really high draft pick. Then you're ready to compete, you know, in 2021, 2022. But the Grizzlies front office, Zach Kleiman has been like, no, we want to win. We want to get these reps of these postseason games. We feel like losing in the play-in directly led to winning in the play-in this season. We feel like losing mm-hmm. in the playoffs this season will give us those postseason disappointments, but it gets those repetitions where we're ready for bigger games next year. And like, I like that. I mean, I'm not, I, I feel like this season, obviously tons of injuries and you know, you might feel like if the bucks or the Suns or the Hawks win the title, maybe they're not the best team, but all those teams put themselves in position to mm-hmm. end up there. You right. know, when all was said and done, just like the Raptors put themselves in, in position in previous years. And maybe we're entering a part of the NBA where there's no dominant LeBron who's just going to kind of always get to the finals. And if you have this opportunity to win championships, I think more teams should do it. I, I think it's really weird how uh, teams are like, Hey, we should tank to have a 14% chance at the top pick. And right. they're less excited about, Hey, let's try to have a 14% chance to win the title. Let's be one right. of the six best teams. Yeah. Or let's 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 make that the second the round of the playoffs. Of the odds. That was the whole point. Like it's funny to see people complain. Like, oh gosh, we sucked, and I can't believe we have less chance at winning. The whole point is so that few teams say that they want to suck. Like that's why I, they. I, can't, I can't get over the, the concept <laughs> of like, and maybe this is just like age. Like you get older, you're like, you know yeah. what? I care less about punting a year of my life for like, like, like the chance of a lottery pick, I would yeah. rather say, Hey, would you rather have a one in That's 20 chance? Would you rather have a 5% chance of winning the title yeah. or a 15% chance of the number one pick? Well, that's easy. I would want a 5% chance of the title, even though you like, obviously you're, you're normally not going to win, but um, I think the Grizzlies have said with this rebuild, we're going to try to be good. Like, and, and I think that is, they want to have sustained success, just like literally every other NBA team. Like like they don't, they don't want to short circuit and make bad one-sided trades that hurt them for like a year of Zach Levine or something like you're not doing that, but you are trying to weigh it and say, I don't know if we trade for trying to think of a young player who could be available, like Brandon Ingram, like, like, like does Brandon Ingram fit next to Jaron? Does he fit next to John Rand? Is that our best way forward? Like possibly not, but those are the considerations they're taking. And if you can't find the perfect player who fits next to Ja and Jaron or, and Dylan Brooks, you say, all right, well then we'll go into the draft and then we'll try to figure it out from there. And so because of that, I have a lot of confidence in the Grizzlies and, you know, 
our optimism has not been squelched yet by, a, you know, a string of like they lose in the first round or they don't make the postseason this coming season, which is certainly possible. Like, you know, we're not going to be disappointed quite yet. I guess we, we, you know, we still have a couple years grace period for all that. Yeah, I, I, Ingram's interesting. I could see him being a Memphis Grizzlies. Somebody also, somebody also mentioned him going to Miami, and I thought, yeah, Man, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. But my favorite thing, like getting back to John Morant, why I really enjoy watching him play, like when you and I were watching basketball in like the two thousands, you had a whole bunch of players doing, like doing stuff because it looked cool because it would like maybe turn out cool. Like Jason Williams would just throw a behind the back pass to the wing. For no other reason than well, you, just felt like, you bet you better not be besmirching Jason Williams. I, no, I'm not no, sure. I'm not. I'm not sure that's where you're going. I just I'm not. To make sure. I'm not. I'm saying I, I I'm will saying, hang this up right now. <laughs> now I want to call that bluff, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but with but with John Morant, I I thoroughly enjoy watching him play because he's kind of like a throwback to to those like Jason er, Jason Williams era basketball where he just like steps on the court, he's driving to the basket, and he's like. I don't have to switch right left here. I could probably just lay this up. He's like, no, nah, I feel like dunking. I think dunking I, is the move here. Cause it looks so cool. And I just, I love, I love the amount of joy that he seems to bring to, to the sport where we're in like this hyper focused, uh, analytically driven era where everything has to be as efficient as possible. Don't, you know, don't put the ball in riskier situations and you have to, and all that stuff. I Morant just goes out there. He's like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to go out and play and be the best <laughs> athlete on the court. This is great. Uh, I mean, I, I could handle him being slightly less risky at, at times <laughs> with his health and just well, with the turnovers. That is a non Memphis but, fan. Like, <laughs> you know, but he is an artist and an entertainer. Yeah. Like the yeah. NBA is an entertainment sport and he knows all about entertainment in preseason of his rookie year just in preseason of his rookie year, he basically posted like eight or nine highlights that were eight or nine of the best highlights in Grizzlies franchise history where it's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, he just, he just put that ball between Cody Zeller's legs. Yeah. It just, but it wasn't like show off. It was like, that's how he got to the rim. Like he yeah. put it through his legs and like, he went, he just hung under the basket and made this like wild reverse layup. I didn't know anyone could do that. And right. he just made this dunk or this alley-oop. And so, or like the behind the back passes, the no look, like where he jumps in the air, spins around, throws a no look behind his head, you know, for a dunk. And you're like, this guy, he can see stuff. And he has that Jason Williams passing ability with the flair. Uh, and a lot of it, it, it isn't just purely for the spectacle. They're effective. So like, yeah, he's an absolute joy to watch an absolute league pass darling. Like yeah. the stuff, the stuff he does every night, it's pretty amazing. So what number do you think he'll wear with the Lakers? Like where do you think he'll... <laughs> I don't know, it's two, big... two hasn't been, is that, was that Lonzo's number? Who's the, uh, who's the, who's Lonzo, the most famous Derek two? Fisher there for a while. Sedale three, what number was the Sedale three? I want to say be, like, I might four. be wrong. No, that's Byron. Who, who's five. the most famous, who's the most famous two in uh, Lakers history? It's Derek Fisher. Oh, it's Derek. Funny. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to end this thing. He's the worst. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for hopping on here. It's it's good information on Fizdale, good information on on Mark. I, I cannot recommend uh, Keith's podcast enough. Uh, Fast, Fast Break Breakfast is, is a great way, just like the name would say, uh, to start your day. I had two waffles today, by the way. It was, oh, it was good all right. Good it was enough. okay. It was just okay. <laughs> um, that's going to do it, though, for this episode and this week's episodes of the uh, Silver Screen and Roll podcast. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. 
Next week, we're going to start with the player review series, and we're going to get you guys ready for uh, rumor season and all of that. So tune in for that when you do. Until then, I'll talk to you guys then. Thank you very much. Thanks, man.